Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. do invite uh, you to remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Today's scripture comes from the book of Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. I will be reading out of the message translation, a more modern day paraphrase translation today. You're familiar with the commands to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then, come back and work things out with God. Or say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. After all, if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you're likely to end up in court, maybe even jail. If that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord Jesus, we do pray that your goodness, your grace, your wisdom, your truth, your calling would be upon our hearts and our lives and on us today. Lord, may you teach us and show us your grace and love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As uh, some of you know, one of my uh, favorite television shows is the show The Office. And so I was watching it the other day, and I I heard a quote from a lady. I thought, I'm going to use that when I talk about reconciliation. And so in the show, there's a lady by the name of Angela, and doesn't she look very friendly? And uh, one of the things that she says is, she says, I don't back down. My sister and I used to be best friends, and we haven't spoken in 16 years over some disagreement I don't even remember. So yeah, I'm pretty good. Now maybe there's some of us who are like that. Maybe there's somebody who right now instantly is in your heart and in your mind. Because you, you have gotten into some sort of disagreement, you don't remember even what it was about, but you haven't talked to your best friend, your family member for a long, long time. And there is this wall that exists between you and this other person. As humans, we clash with one another, that we do have these arguments, we have these disagreements, but what we do with them matters. Do we become arrogant and prideful in the fact that we haven't backed down in over 16 years and neglected a relationship with a sister or someone we love? What do we do about it? And so kids, in box one, I invite you to draw a picture of an argument. What does it look like? Uh, what, What are two people arguing look like? Now, I was thinking of another show. Well, this one's a movie. Um, The movie Home Alone. Probably a lot of you have watched this movie at some point in time. If not, you watched it at Christmas time again and again. Uh, Just a great classic. Now, in there, Kevin McAllister befriends his neighbor, who at first he was scared of, but there is this pivotal moment 
in the church. And it's all about reconciliation. And so this is the conversation that exists between um, Kevin's neighbor and himself. So his neighbor says, you know the real reason why I'm here? Kevin says, sure. He said, I came to hear my granddaughter sing. I can't come hear her tonight. Kevin asked, why? Do you have plans? He said, no, I'm not welcome. Kevin was surprised. At church? You're always welcome at church, he said. Amen to that. I'm not welcome with my son. Years back, he said, before you and your family moved on the block, I had an argument with my son. How old is he, Kevin asked. He's grown up. We lost our tempers, and I said I didn't care to see him anymore, and he said the same, and we haven't spoken to each other since. Kevin said, if you miss him, why don't you call him? I'm afraid if I call, he said, he won't talk to me. How do you know, Kevin asked. I don't know. I'm just afraid. No offense, Kevin said, but aren't you a little too old to be afraid? You can be old for a lot of things, he said. You're never too old to be afraid. I wonder how many of us experience this fear. Maybe for some of us sitting out there, we are not too old to, to be afraid, but we are afraid to reconcile. We're afraid to engage in a relationship and, and make a relationship better than it was we're afraid to admit that we're wrong. We're, we're afraid of being rejected. If we, if we go to somebody, we are afraid of what might happen if we attempt to reconcile. And so what we're going to be dealing with today in the series on forgiveness, and if you've, if you've missed out, I encourage you to go back because we did talk about a lot about forgiveness before, but we're moving into this reconciliation piece. And throughout this whole series, we've been talking about the rhythm of the Christian life which is grace in and grace out, that we receive grace from God and that we share it with other people. We, we receive his love. We receive God's goodness for us. That's my understanding of grace, is grace is God's goodness for us, and we give God's goodness to others. This is the rhythm of the Christian life. And so in, in forgiveness, part of what we talked about is that forgiveness is about replacing our negative emotions that we have about somebody or something towards other with positive emotions. And so we replace this anger and this bitterness and this hate, and we, we replace it with love, with empathy, with understanding, all right? And this is something that, that I do, and I don't need anybody else to do it, all right? I don't have to tell somebody I'm forgiving them. It helps, all right? It can be part of the process, but I don't necessarily need them. There are some of us who may need to forgive somebody who, is, who has passed away, but we still need to forgive them because of the feelings in our heart. We don't need another person to necessarily forgive. But reconciliation, you need people to work together. Because reconciliation is really about rebuilding trust in a relationship that has been damaged. Trust has been broken, and in order to do so, we have to move together in this way, that we have, to, we have to choose to do it. Now, next week, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about sort of the how to reconcile and what does that look like, all right? But, but today, we're, we're going to look at a couple of different things. The first thing I want to be clear about is that there are instances and times in which reconciliation should not happen. If it is not a safe relationship, it is not time to reconcile. Um, and so this is, is not saying if somebody is abusive to you, do not say, well, the pastor said, I must be reconciled. Because if the person is not willing to 
work with you, then reconciliation cannot happen. All right, so I want, to be, I want us to be clear that there are times that reconciliation is not the right road in certain relationships. The ideal would be for all relationships to be reconciled. But we live in the real world in which there are times and there are instances in which that cannot be the case. And if you are unsure whether or not it's safe, um, then, then talk to a trusted friend or talk to somebody that you would know who might be able to give you some insight into the situation. Now, not all reconciliation looks the same, all right? And so these are Aaron's titles. These aren't the Lord's titles, so just please hear that, all right? This is just Aaron's thinking out loud. Is, is I, I'm going to refer to what I'm going to call reconciliation light relationships. There are some reconciliations that are always going to be kept at a distance. You maintain a relationship, but you don't maintain the relationship at the level that it once was. Um, and a lot of that is because the other person isn't willing to go the distance that's needed to repair the damage that has been done. And so um, there may be instances in which it's like, well, gosh, my relationship with my, with my brother, I've got to have a relationship with my brother, but I'm not ever going to trust him in the same way. He's not willing to walk this road down. And so it's really reconciliation light is you feel safe, but you don't feel trust, that you do not feel that you can tr trust this person, that they're on the same path that you are in. And so again, you have a relationship, um, but it is very much light and often programmatic or pragmatic in that way. Now, I will say that there's kind of this reconciliation, what I called standard. And this reconciliation standard is this restoring of the relationship to where it was. Uh, and this is oftentimes maybe with people you work with or people that you're in a group with. You do something, you get mad at a meeting or you um, accidentally offended one another, you forgive one another, and you come back and you restore the relationship to where it was. And sometimes this is where, it, this is a wonderful thing. And every once in a while, there's what I would call reconciliation plus. This is, this is kind of the gold standard of reconciliation. And this is where you and another person actually grow stronger because you've worked through your differences. You have forgiven one another, you have embraced one another, and you're at a deeper level of trust and a deeper level of safety than you ever were before. I really hope for a lot of marriages that this is the case, is that as we, as we hurt one another, that as we come to the reconciliation table, that we actually grow in our ability to be reconciled. And we actually have a stronger relationship because of the difficulties we went through and the work that we went through there. And I believe that that is possible. So next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the how. But today, we want to talk about where reconciliation begins. And so the scripture I read today was from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. If you ever want to feel bad about yourself, read Matthews 5, 6, and 7. Because Jesus really ups the ante of what it means to be good. He really sort of raises the bar because a lot of times we think, oh, I'm not too bad. I'm a better than a lot of those people. And here, you know, we're like, well, I haven't killed anybody, so I'm a better person than some. And then Jesus says words like the ones that we heard today. I'm telling you that anyone who is so as much angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. And then, and then he goes on, and, and one of the reasons why I chose the um, message translation is because he said, carelessly call a brother an idiot. And you all will get to, in the late service, my boys will get to hear this. And every once in a while, that word comes out of their mouth, right? Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you're on the brink of hellfire. 
And, and he says, the translation says these words, a simple moral fact is that words kill. Now, we often like to think of ourselves as, as being people who are pretty good. But I'm sure that probably all of us here today have, have used words that have killed people, that have brought them down and put them down. You know, I think about it, so often we may not remember what caused the fight, but we will remember the words used in the fight. And whoever made up that stupid poem, I shouldn't say stupid, whoever made up that silly poem, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, is wrong. Because we, everybody in this room has been devastated by words. Everybody watching this, you've been devastated by words. In fact, sometimes we can hold on to the words that somebody said when we were five or when we were 12 or when we were 22. A boss who said, you're not going to be good enough. A parent who in their anger called you names because they were hurting. A family member who, who you thought believed in you but then tore you down. The simple moral fact is that words kill. And words have the power to give life and death. Because probably we can all think of people who have given us words of encouragement, who looked us in the eyes and said incredible things that lifted us up. And so Jesus is saying here that your words matter immensely. And can we be people who share wonderful words of life with one another? So kids in box two, I invite you to draw, um, to write some words that you love to hear. What are some of the words that you love to hear about yourself? So what, what we do in the Tiger family is um, when somebody uh, says something they, they shouldn't, we just say um, that, that we don't say those words in this family. Those aren't words that we use in this family. That's not how we talk to each other in this family. And that's a part of it. And so that's who we want to be as the people of God, is people who use our words to heal and not to kill. And I think it's important as we think about reconciliation, because most of the time, reconciliation involves some use of words. There's often action somewhere involved as well, but words are probably one of the primary, if not the primary place of damage in relationships. And so right after he talks about anger, then he says these words, if you enter a place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Interesting words, right? Somebody that somebody has against you, not who you're mad at, somebody who's mad at you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend, and make things right. Let me read that one more time. If you enter a place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend, and make things right. I was waiting to see if anybody was going to move. <laughs> right? I mean, these are strong words. Go immediately. Go make things right. If you are in your place of worship and you come, leave. Leave your gift at the altar and go. And so kids in box three, I invite you to draw a picture of someone leaving their gift at the altar. But I think there's some important things from this just simple text that we can get about reconciliation and what it means. Is that first here, and I think this is critically important, is that God reveals the person 
and the time that reconciliation should happen. God reveals who and when it is the right moment for reconciliation. And so there may be somebody today that's feeling like, I am going to leave here. Please leave your gift at the offering plates. But if you don't, I'll trust that you're obeying God. Um, All right, I'm going to look. I'm going to be watching to see who doesn't leave a gift at the offering plate. I'm assuming you're going to go reconcile with somebody, right? I'm just kidding. Right here is the deal. Is that God invites us and God tells us it's time. And so maybe God is laying somebody on your heart today. Maybe he won't for two months from now, the person and the time to go. But that we are called to be open to the movement of God in our spirit. Who is God showing us that we need to reconcile with? He's going to reveal that to us. And so if you come here, and again, if it's months from now and you're in church and, and, God, and all of a sudden this person just, can't, you can't get them out of your head, then that might be God. It probably is God saying, the time is right. Go and do something in that way. So trust that God will work. Also in this text, we, we learn that God prioritizes right relationships over righteousness. We want to be people who, who give. That's an important part of our faith. All right, being generous to, to, to share, to do the right behaviors before God, to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind is incredibly important. Um, but to love your neighbor as yourself in this text, it seems like that takes priority. You know, I remember a, a professor who one time said that, that you could interpret the greatest commandments, these two things, love God and love your neighbor, is this way. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And another way to say the same thing is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so there is this call for us to go. And sometimes we want to just try to give our way out of problems. We want to try to make ourselves right so that we come across, so that we feel good about ourselves when all the while we know we have some, something to deal with out there. And God invites us to right relationships because it really is relationships that are whole, that can change the world and make the biggest difference. He invites us to the hard work. He invites us to not be afraid anymore. And I imagine that there are some of us who would say, you know, I would do anything for you, God, but I won't do that. I'm not going to call my sister. Nope, 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 not going to happen. I can't do it today. I can't do it tomorrow. I'll never be able to do it. I'm afraid of what might happen. But God If he's calling you, he will equip you and he will go before you to heal relationships because those matter immensely to him. In the next verse, we see, we hear these words. It says, don't lose a minute, make the first move. I have a pastor friend down in Texas. I say friend, it's one of those people I've listened to many times. He doesn't know me, but I'm a friend of his, right? That happens sometimes. Um, his name's Andrew Forrest, and I was listening to a, a sermon, and I actually read it on a blog first, and he talked about the three most important words in faith, the three words that'll change your life. And, I, and, and I'm a sucker for those little things. I'm thinking, right, if it's that simple, let me figure it out. And, and in those things, he came up with something that just sticks with me, and it's these three words, love goes first. Love goes first. 
And so I uh, had my, my wife, she, she put these, uh, this image together that she did, and you've got cards, these are for you to take and keep, um, because sometimes we need this reminder that love goes first. And this is what the scripture tells us. Don't waste a minute. Make the first move. Love goes first. You see, because so often we're like, well, if they want a relationship with me, they can make it right. I'll wait for them. And do you know what the other person is saying? If they want a relationship with me, they can make it right. I'll wait for them. But love says, I move. I go first. Now, my wife asked me last night, she said, Aaron, what if these two people are Christian? Who should go first? I said, they should collide into each other, right? So eager to reconcile, right? That this is what it looks like, is that this idea that love goes first. This is the initiative. And that for us, for reconciliation is, is God, there are times in which he says, wait, not yet, but rarely does he say, not ever. And so when our heart's ready and the other person's heart's ready, if God is stirring that, then go. Don't wait. Don't linger. Don't question. Go. Because God is at work. Because love goes first. And so in, um, in the post that I read, he talked about how love goes first. Think about in a relationship, uh, even, even with people that you don't know. All right, back in the day before COVID, you know, where, where there would be somebody new in a group and and it would be anxious, like, who is this person? What are they doing here? But whoever makes the first move sets the tone for the relationship. And so if love goes first, then there's a relationship of openness and goodness. But so many of us are hesitant even to encounter a new person. We see a new person as a threat. This is one of the things I love about kids. is because kids see people as potential friends. Adults see people as potential enemies. Why does this person not have friends? Why do they need me? We're, we're, we're so suspicious. Kids are just jumping right in. You know, and then they'll play at somebody on the playground and they'll say, that's my new friend. I'll say, what's their name? I don't know. But that's who the kids are. I think it's how God created us to be. As adults, we've become so suspicious. But love tells us to go first. And so if you see somebody you don't know, go to them with the warmth of Jesus Christ because love goes first. If you're in a, a hesitation of a relationship, go first and say, look, here I am. I just want to make things better. What do we need to do? And reconcile. And so, kids, I invite you to, in box four to draw a picture of two people reconciling. Now, when I was a, a young pastor in Muldrow, Oklahoma, which is out east Oklahoma, if you take I-40 and you almost leave the state of Oklahoma, you'll hit Muldrow. Right, you got to get off the highway. It takes a little bit, but you're, you're there, right? And so in that church, I had, uh, I had, had a couple people who were my favorite parishioners, my favorite congregation members. I'm not supposed to have those, but I did, all right? You all, all are now my favorites, just for the record. But then I was so immature, I had favorites, all right? And one of my favorites was a lady named Glenda. Now, um, Glenda's mom, Sybil, um, passed away, and she was the first funeral I ever did. She was probably in her mid-80s. Um, I stood up in this pulpit at um, that church in Muldrow, and like she was one of those people who lived in that community forever, so everybody who ever lived in that community came. So we had over 400 people for my first funeral. I was scared to death, you know, because you just don't want to screw it up, and I didn't really know this lady very well, didn't know the family, all that sort of stuff. 
but um, did, her, did her funeral. Now, um, Glenda had a sister by the name of Peggy, and this family, again, they, most of them lived right there in the community. They were a close family. They loved one another. There was, not only was there Sybil and the two sisters, but then there was all these other, you know, cousins and nieces and nephews and siblings, one of those families. And when they got together for the funeral, it was just loud and laughter and fun. And you're just like, these, I like these kind of people. You all would like these people. But as so often happens after tragedy, people don't know what to do. One person described losing a family member is sort of like playing musical chairs, and, and all of a sudden there's a chair gone and nobody knows where to sit because they're not sure whose responsibility is what. And I'm not sure exactly what happened, but these two sisters who lived in the, basically the same town, who knew all the same people, all the, for some reason there was this divide that happened. If I was to guess, somebody said something and somebody misinterpreted and somebody said something, somebody interpreted that correctly, right? One of those things that happened, and all of a sudden they're there. Now, it sort of funneled into the families, and so there was kind of like, I choose Glinda, I choose Peggy, this is normal stuff, right? Though the, the youngest kids, they just love playing together. And so probably for at least a year, this family feud went on. Now, Glinda came to church every Sunday, and, and, and she was there, and because I was young and didn't know much, she didn't tell me much about this family feud that was going on. She didn't ask for my advice. I was perfectly fine with that because I would have had no idea what to say. But one Sunday, after sitting there in the service and had nothing to do with reconciliation, God spoke to her heart. And God said, go to your sister's house. Because every Sunday after church, Peggy would host a lunch for the family. So... Glinda left church. She stayed for the whole thing, but she left and went to her sister's house. When she walked in, one of her nieces said, oh, look who showed up today. Glinda came there ready to reconcile. What she didn't realize or what she somehow missed was that the night before, her sister Peggy sent her a text and said, I'm ready to reconcile. Let's be a family again. Somehow she missed that. And so they both had the initiative to go first. They didn't realize it, but they felt it. And love went first for both of them, and because their hearts were open, they reconciled. And now they're together. Peggy actually came back to the Methodist church. Everybody was happy about that. And it's this beautiful story of families reconciling. And so I want to tell you that if, if, you're, if there's a family member, if there's somebody that, that you are apart from, that reconciliation is possible. It's not always going to be easy. It's going to require swallowing some pride. It's going to require some effort because there have been some bridges that have been burnt that have to be rebuilt. But this is what God can do if we're ready. But you can't do it if you stay seated. Make, don't lose a minute, make the first move. Because love goes first. And so, and we do this because he first loved us. Because God first loved us, what we see in our scriptures is that God has made the first move. What we see in our story is that God has moved and invites us to respond. He created the world. He spoke the world into being that, that love 
went first. That he rescued the people out of slavery in um, the story of the Exodus, and then he gave them commandments. He didn't say, once you get your act together, then I'll rescue you. He rescues, and then he instructs. And we love because he first loved us. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, is that Jesus made the first move. Romans 5, 6 says it this way, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God didn't wait for us to say, Lord, we need you. He said, boom, here I am. And for those of us now on this side of the resurrection, Jesus has done the work of reconciliation. And he invites us to take the final step. He invites us to come. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.